Hello, hello, and welcome. Hi. Hi, Liz. Welcome to And What Did We Learn? I have the amazing Liz Bentley with me, my podcasting mentor, if you will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I take that responsibility very seriously. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I've been on Liz's pod a couple times, and she's been gracious enough not just not just to plug me on hers, but also to come on and spend time um, watching a really sad movie and then talking about it. <laughs> To be fair, I did suggest this. You did suggest it, but I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's not like I wouldn't want to do it. It's a really good pick, and I actually wasn't familiar with this particular documentary, but it makes complete sense with the timing. Um, it's Deliver Us From Evil, which is a 2006 documentary that is about one specific person, but also yeah. about the general issue of priests molesting children and the Catholic Church covering that up. Um, sure, everyone has to know at least a little bit about that, um, but 2006 is when things really started blowing up, or maybe it was 05. Um, and uh, just, it just came to light how much was being hidden. Uh, I think they said child molestation and those lawsuits has, have cost the Catholic Church over a billion dollars. And that um, was 12, 14 years ago. And that was 14 years ago when this all just was like hitting the mm -hmm. surface. So what this film is though, is it's a hard focus. And I mean focus, because this <laughs> ass asshole is featured um, on Father O'Grady, Father Oliver O'Grady who I want to get into like just talking about the movie. So for the sake of not worrying about details, I'm just going to read a little blurb here. So people okay. kind of have an idea of the timeline and then obviously the crimes we're going to get into. But I had a little issue with the timeline because we were jumping from family to family. And so it was hard it, for me to put it together. <laughs> the timeline is not great. I will say that's like my biggest criticism yeah. of this movie is that Same. she doesn't do the best job with the timeline, but mm -hmm. then it, it almost doesn't matter. It really doesn't because it, it kind of actually, if you think about it, it's like, what, it, what does the timeline matter? It's a period of 30 years that this man was and is, you'll find, well, spoiler alert, he's still out. He's not in jail. Um, I actually, as of 2019, he's currently arrested. Is he? I saw he that was... there were more complaints filed, but I didn't see that he was in jail. Okay, thank so, you. So, spoiler alert, he, because I just was <laughs> looking great. it up, and great at one point in Ireland, he did serve time, mm -hmm. um, I think three years, and then he got out and then was in Portugal in fall 2019 and was arrested Ew. for more child pornography charges back oh, in Ireland. Okay. So, okay. I believe he's being he was... extradited to Ireland. Yeah, and I know that, well, we'll get to it, but one of the, honestly, kind of the hero of this movie really never stopped going after this guy, so I'm glad to hear that. So, what we get from our dear old Wikipedia is, um, born in Limerick, O'Grady, that's, again, Oliver O'Grady, father, uh, was ordained into the priesthood at a seminary in Thurles in 1971, so most of this takes place between the 70s and the 90s and emigrated to the U.S. later that year. He served at a pre as a priest at St. Anne's Catholic Church in Lodi, California, which is not far. None of this is far from where I live, which is just so, it adds another element for me. Um, from 1971 to 78, he later served at Church of Presentation in Stockton, California, even closer to me, um, 
Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Turlock, California, St. Andrew's Parish in San Andreas, California, and St. Anthony's Catholic Church Church in Houston, I guess it's Houston, uh, California. He claimed to have, and these are all places that he molested children and was subsequently moved to um, in order for the church, the diocese, the Los Angeles diocese to, even though he's in Northern California, I don't really know how that works, the bishop basically to keep the Catholic church's reputation clean. They just, you know, it's like money laundering with people. They just send him somewhere else. Um, so he claimed to have been himself molested by a priest at the age of 10 and that he was involved in sexual abuse in his own family, both as perpetrator and victim. And the only other thing that I'll read before we just get into it is, uh, in 93, he was convicted on four counts of lewd and lascivious acts, but it's like nothing. I think he served seven years, nothing. So, and he, yeah, he was completely bailed out by the church. So why don't we get into the movie? Um, So Liz, you suggested this. I want to know, like, did you see it when it came out? So not when it, right when it came out, because I remember like what apartment I was in. So it must have been 2009-ish. That's how I like date like six years of my life via like what apartment I was living in. Same. Absolute Um, same. (laughs) It's the best tracker. Yeah. Or that's when I lived at home for a year. That's when I. (laughs) Exactly. Totally. Uh, So I think I saw it in like 2009-ish. And I, the first time I watched it, I was like physically sick at it. This was, you know, Spotlight, the movie didn't come out for like Mm -hmm. another eight years. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was like the priest abuses. I mean, in Philadelphia, they paid Mm -hmm. a lot of money in Philadelphia. I mean, all major cities, right? But like living near Philadelphia, which is a very Catholic city. like I can see that. It was a really really big deal. So I like had an understanding that that happened, but I didn't understand quite what the cover-up level was. I just was like, well, you know, they make priests be celebrate and then they like molest all these kids. I didn't understand the moving of the churches, Uh, I think. Yeah, that's a wild one. And that that was kept hidden for a long time, that that was the method. And you know, this is all the way at the end of the film, which I think... I guess I don't have a problem with it. It was presented well, but I mean, for the sake of the podcast, I'm just going to say, say this now. Um, one thing that I learned from this, uh, almost a podcast, this documentary, which is really fascinating, um, is the fact that, you know, celibacy is not in the Bible. It's not anywhere. It, it wasn't, it didn't come from anywhere, quote unquote, holy. Um, and it's, and you'll notice it's only in, Catholicism. There are quote-unquote priests in other religions or pastors or ministers, depending, um, and they're not celibate. They have families, uh, and the really the only reason that celibacy is a thing is greed. Big surprise. Um, so since the fourth century, they have made celibacy, celibacy mandatory for anyone higher up in the diocese uh, in order to prevent th- those priests or bishops or whomever, or I guess priests, from having heirs that would inherit their title and their their possessions and their wealth. It was like the bishops were like, no, you, sh- you can't have a son. We should get that shit when you die. <laughs> that was yeah, the, and I think the reason. Also, they talk about this in the film that it also, when you pledge celibacy, you are pledging, like you are, you're giving up everything else in your life to be a priest. And they yes. get- 
they talk about it. Like if he says, like, if I had a wife, I couldn't, a wife and a family, I couldn't do this Mm -hmm. because like 24 seven of my life is being a priest. So I think that plays into it as well. Absolutely. And they do touch on the fact that, you know, most boys who enter the the priesthood are very young when they first Mm -hmm. start thinking about it. So they're maybe like puberty age. And so, and then they're taught, to be, you're going to be celibate. You're never going to have sex. You know, you can't think about sex. You can't want sex. And so they do it. And then after a while, I'm not saying everybody, but what happens And it, again, they said the statistic, at least as of this movie and coming out in 06 was 10%. Yeah. Of, of the people that come out of the Catholic church or the monastery or whatever end up offending. And that's just what we know of who knows what it's truly is considering how much is covered up. Um, well, but- Spotlight, if you watch Spotlight, they talk mm-hmm. about the fact that what they believe was happening was like a psychological, like they had a name for it that was like, it was beyond just like cases were happening. They like mm-hmm. thought there was like a psychological thing going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is, it's sort of bred and I mean, because there's no other explanation for for this kind of mm-hmm. phenomenon, even if they're being made to be celibate. But then they did mention the fact that they all get this idea in their head right when they would have been she i think the wording was they get shut down they they're like okay you're only a brain now shut the rest down and then eventually it's like sexual feelings exist they just fucking do unless you're lobotomized or whatever or castrated um but because they have been told not to think about sex and the last time they were ever probably rationally attracted to someone was when they were a child that's kind of part of the reasoning that is given for this. Um, I had a problem with that just given how young these victims are because Mm -hmm. 14 and nine months old are far apart. I would say it's more likely, this is total speculation, but my Mm -hmm. total speculation is that it is a way for people in power Mm -hmm. to get to like have a sexual outlet without consequence. Yeah, children are the easiest victims. Exactly, and not, I think it even goes beyond, for this 10% of priests, which is a small number, but a large number, right? Like we should acknowledge that 90% of priests like don't do this, but it's also a very large number when you consider like what the actual population of pedophiles is compared, you know what I mean? Like it's higher than just regular mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big part of it is like, there's a lot more chance of like bad things happening. If a priest is sleeping with a woman, she can get pregnant. Like the husband mm-hmm. finds out um, if he's sleeping with an adult man, like somebody sees them together. I think the children, unfortunately, first of all, they get a lot they were getting a lot of alone time with the children and there right. was just less of a risk. I think of like having a scandal. Is how well, they- and just behaviorally speaking, you can shape a child's behavior much more quickly than you can shape an adult's behavior yeah. because they're malleable and because they don't have the knowledge or the power to, to speak up if something feels wrong. And I, you know, I'm, saying this from experience um but even as a child who who isn't uh, assaulted like you know think about the things that you got talked into as a kid and you were like well i don't know it seemed like a good idea at the time or i was too afraid to say no right it's kind of the same principle and this guy this particular man is one hell of a monster i it's very upsetting to watch him talk 
and just like, I mean, I'm going to get into it, but it's all kinds of passive language. He is not, he's, he thinks he's a victim too, or he, that's his game. Um, he's a master manipulator for sure. I, I think what he really, unfortunately was able to latch onto is the anger that people have towards the bishops that covered it up. Oh yeah. If you listen to him, he's like, well, you know, they didn't get me out. They should have done their job. And then meanwhile, he's writing thank you letters to them for not having to go to jail. Anyway. Exactly. But <laughs> okay. he definitely, I think he definitely like recognized that and was like, oh, of I'll course. use that. Yeah. Like it's their I'm fault victim. actually, not oh, mine. I get, yeah, I get to be the victim now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and everything he says, his feigning ignorance, his feigning, I don't remember. It's When you hear what he does, it's, there's no way that that's true. Um, he's very careful with his words. He knows he doesn't say a lot that he doesn't really give you much. Um, but yeah, we begin the, the doc begins with a quote and I, I wrote it down. So I'm going to read it <laughs> It's from JC from, you know, the Bible. Uh, it says, if, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you, which is an interesting quote and i don't even know is that pointed at the priests or is that pointed at the kids the pre the cover-up yeah i do i think think so as well but i think it's an ironic quote to use for this film in which no one has been destroyed except the victims well yeah but i think the point is like what they're what she's probably trying to get at by using that quote is like eventually i get it I get like, it. This will like, like your I day mean, is will coming. It? Yeah, uh, like, that's, will it? Yeah, I totally get where she's coming from. I just mean my cynical at reading yeah. that after the film. I'm like, Ugh, God. yeah, yeah. So you know, we start out in a church. Um, by the way, I should say I was not raised Catholic, but I was raised in Christianity, and it'll come up. But you know, uh, there are differences, but at the same time. Uh, it's kind of all muddies together. I, I went to a church that turned out the, the priest, the, the priest, the pastor was a megalomaniac, really bad person. There's a lot of greed when it comes to the church. And I don't, I, I don't know if that's like the ego, egotistical nature of people who fancy themselves close to God, that they should also have all this money. But um, anyway, it's, there's a lot of creepiness. <laughs> so we, we see, um, you know, the opening is we're in a church and, and we see, uh, O'Grady who I just wrote as OG in my notes, <laughs> too much to write. Um, but, uh, he's talking, yeah, there's just really ominous, eerie, tense music. You're immediately uncomfortable. And, um, he's talking about how, yeah, so I don't know, in my behavior, I know I started to notice an imbalance and, you know, what I was doing and what I believed in. And it's like an imbalance, like what, what a way to spin it. And immediately I'm like, okay, this guy is only here to, to talk about why, you know, it wasn't his fault. Um, that was kind of immediately clear to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't his fault. Yeah. And, um, he says what he says, and this is, this really hit me because he says it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. And it's like, that's what the victim gets to say. You don't get to say that. Like, you could have stopped it from happening so many times. Um, But that's, again, like you said, like, he's conveniently throwing it onto the bishops, even though he refuses to testify against them because they pay 
him. Yeah. Um, and then we meet Bob and Maria Giono, um, that are a family or a couple um, that met OG a long time ago in 1971. Um, Bob is from Japan, but he was never a practicing Buddhist. So he met Maria, who's an Irish Catholic, and that kind of bonded them. Um, and then it led to their marriage and, and he got baptized. And it seemed like these people had like a really nice life for themselves, religion or no religion, like they were very united. Um, and then they have a daughter named Anne in 1966. And basically what they said was church was our life. Church was peace and comfort. And that, you know, obviously is shattered. I mean, you can imagine how they're going to end up being affected, um, how their daughter is going to end up being affected. Um, so, and this is part of the timeline thing that confused me because this is not his first victim, like by any means. No, um, it wasn't his first victim, but I think what they, they introduced him first because they had the, the closest True. Like, relationship to him that continued for many years, like despite where he was. Mm -hmm. um, and they would let him like stay at their home overnight um, because they like, I mean, he was their priest. Uh, yeah. They would help him with his speeches. They wanted to give him a break. So they would let him stay at the house because if he was at the house, he didn't have to be like ministering. And I, I think they, they introduced us to them first because I think they are the best example in the film of just a family that like, just the spiritual abuse Hero, that yes, happened, abuse. which which goes so far beyond just the sexual abuse yes. it's the spiritual abuse. And I think we really were able to see that through them. The Like I agree that the timeline gets a little weird, but I think what we're supposed to understand is like how affecting it is to the whole family. And they're kind of the best example of it. I totally agree with you. And I got that by the end, but as someone taking notes, I was like, ah, shit, where do I put this? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, but that's not necessarily what it's meant for. So it's fine. I just, I, you know, I'm, I have OCD. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, I wanted to say um, they later, they describe him being in the house so much and he manipulated him by saying, well, I can't have my own family, you know, and this is like family, you know, you guys are my family and, and I'll take care of your children like they're my own. And you can see, I can see how he would pull that off. Like if I didn't know he were a child molester and he were talking, I wouldn't think he's a child molester because he's, he's very good charming he's very charming even he, in this movie when he's like we're yeah. following him he's very charming i guess we should include like i think to understand this the whole mm -hmm. like the biggest point of this movie and the most jarring point is that at this time he was living freely in ireland and the director amy berg just went there and mm -hmm. interviewed him <laughs> and he just talked openly and honest well who knows how honest it was right but he presented himself as being honest and just talked mm -hmm all about it so it's very unique for a i hate to call it true crime well i've been having a lot of issues with true I crime <laughs> and i just think it's like i and i think like to call what is happening in this true crime is like it's so reductive you know what i mean yes but yeah it's it's abuse you can it's yeah true abuse <laughs> Um, but as far as like it's a, a tragedy. true crime film, like it's extremely yeah. unique in it that really it's is. narrated by the perpetrator. Which is, I had a, I totally get it and it's valuable, but it's also like, I'm mad that he's able. It's to, horrific. To do it's, this. 
And it's that why you- this fo- film is so, I would use the word remarkable for this film. And it's why mm-hmm. it's so remarkable because I mean, they have all the deposition testimony of the other priests, yeah. which is pretty common in like yeah. true crime stuff, right? Well, they'll have depots, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's the impact of it. I, I like, and I would imagine that that was a hard choice for her to make. Do I give this guy a platform? And how to edit it. How to edit yeah. it too. Like, how do we... And I think they did a good job with editing because they really Agreed. balanced out what he said with clips of other things. So it was never like, oh, I think... I didn't ever feel bad for him. I exactly. didn't ever believe that he was a good person. So she really did balance it out. And she... I- I didn't feel like she was giving him a platform. I felt like she was able to use his words Mm -hmm. to emphasize what happened to the victims via the church and him. And I think that is, she's a genius filmmaker, I think, for that. I think many other filmmakers, it would have turned into giving him a platform. And you don't Mm -hmm. walk away from this thinking that Father O'Grady was given any type of platform. If anything, it only bolsters the victim yeah. stories. I wrote at one point, I'm like, how is he still alive after this? <laughs> like, can you imagine? I mean, he has this impression that it seems like he genuinely believes that people are going to watch this and be like, oh, I get it. He's not a bad guy. He really tried to stop. And at one point he winks at the fucking camera. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, what? I can't. It's really, really hard to rationalize. Um, and Anna, or sorry, Anne, the daughter of um, Bob and Maria, as an adult, you know, she's clearly one of his victims. And she said at a certain point, he was in our house all the time. He was at our school. He had total control over us. What part of my life was, wasn't was he at? Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, we see a clip of him saying, oh, what was it about me that said, you can trust me? Like, he's so like, I'm just such a good guy. Like, I don't know. People just like me. It's like, uh, you went out of your way to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I think he's yeah. a really good example of a sociopath with a huge yes. ego. Like, Absolutely. I, like, it's a really good example of somebody that, like, truly does not care about consequences whatsoever. But he very much knows right from wrong. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the most he did was, you know, confess. And to him, that was, like, sweet. It was like taking a shower, you know? I'm done. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it jumps around, and it does not... Obviously, it wasn't presented in a timeline manner, so we really don't have to talk about it that way. Uh, So don't don't feel pinned in. You can just shout out whatever you want to talk about. But I just took so many notes because that's what I do. Um, and also there are a lot of facts. Um, but you know, the, the documentary is not splintered. It's not fragmented in any way. So it really meshes well together. Um, especially as we start to meet more victims and it's spliced together with information about the church and what was going on at this time and, and the, the people, the powers that be that were really like flat out, like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, I just want to be archdiocese or I just want to be archbishop or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I think we should probably talk, start with talking about Nancy because paper trail wise, she yes. is kind of the most important. Yeah, um, that's very true. I like, as far as the church, like Nancy is absolutely not his first victim, right? Like we know no. that for sure. No, no. But Nancy is the first victim that the church knows about that there begins a cover up. And that's like, she starts the paper trail. She is like uh, athlete A, you know what I mean? Like she's patient zero. She's the one that ends up being 
Like if they had just done something then, this could have all been prevented. Yes. Uh, Nancy, poor Nancy. Um, I was very impressed with Nancy's parents. Um, I want to say they said that they, so her father has something wrong with him. So the mom speaks for him. They explained no, that's not her parents. That was those uh, aren't her parents. Uh, no, that is. See, this is why I take too many notes. <laughs> so that's Case and Jane De Groot. Case was the former pastor of Saint Anne's, where Oliver O'Grady was a priest. Um, so her parents called Case and reported. Oh. Rec- report. Yeah, her parents are not featured, but her parents okay. called Case and said, "I I really liked Case and Jane. Actually, um, I agree with Me you." Me too. But, but at the point, the yeah. point that I wanted to make there, the really important point is that they had picked up Nancy after like a night away with the 96 the hours. Ugh. Yeah. And she said basically the abuse started the minute she got in the car yep. and they picked her up and she was like really upset and out they like really pushed her and got they it did. out of her, mm-hmm. which, you know, this is what, 75, 76. Like, yeah. I, it's really... I mean, oh, absolutely. Obviously, the like, parents wanting to know get, more instead of being yeah. like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Exactly. Like, she was away with a priest and she was upset and they were able to get the information out of her. And unfortunately, they did probably what they thought was right, which was to call a church authority. Yeah. Well, who didn't give a shit? Um, yeah, it takes a really long time for actual law enforcement to be involved at all. Um, but yes, Nancy, I mean, this, I, I'm sure I don't believe was the only incident because this he spent a lot of time with Nancy when she was young. Um, she met him because she went to a camp and she didn't know anybody else at the camp. And so, of course, he um, is latches on to her. And he goes on a sleepover with the girls, which is so gross. And she says, um, Nancy is saying, yeah, all the other girls. I remember all the other girls commenting that oh, you're the only one that didn't get poison oak because you slept with father. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way, but it's like, clearly it's something's wrong here. Why are you? Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, and he, the way he s- talks about it for a very long time until he actually, in the de- position, he's more uh, technical. But he says, I allowed myself to cuddle her. I would call it love. <sighs> and it was like, I, I just wrote, it's, he's so self-involved. It's all about him, which isn't mm-hmm. surprising. It's just horrifying um and you know Anne also had these sleepovers and we find out that Anne was he started raping Anne when she was five and it went on until she was 12 because that family has stayed so close and you're right that's a really big important part because we at the end we see the breakdown in the emotional breakdown of those family members um so he makes this weird statement about, is, is he talking, I think he's saying he was talking to a counselor, but I don't know if that's true. It was probably just like a bishop or something. And he said, they asked me, are you aroused by women? No. Are you aroused by men? No. How about children? Maybe. How about children in swimsuits? Yes, definitely. And it just goes on from there. And it's just like, ew, okay, we get it. Yeah. Well, this was after, so we should talk about how, so Case gets the call. Mm-hmm. Um, what's Case's wife's name? Jane. Jane. So Jane is explaining the story, but Case gets the call and Case goes to the, like, whoever is above him, the bishop. Mm -hmm. And this is when they promise 
they promise Nancy's parents that they will like yes. that they will move him and he will not be involved with any more children as long as they agree not to press charges. They say, please mm -hmm. look, we understand that this is a problem. This is really bad. And mm -hmm. we're going to move him so you don't have to worry about it. He's not going to be here anymore. He's not going to be around other kids, but please don't press charges. And they agreed because it was their spiritual leader was asking them to do this. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't just a random person off the street. Like their spiritual leaders were asking them to do it, which is so important and can't ever be forgotten. Like the yeah. power that these people have over the parents and the family as well. And yes. um, so case had him write why did he write the letter i don't think anyone told him to write the letter i think he did it and the bishop guilfoyle at the time before it turns into mahoney um guilfoyle the one that claimed he would never work with children again mm -hmm. uh said to nancy's parents nothing happened you must have misunderstood and then she showed him the letter that yeah um, oliver or o'grady wrote a letter rationalizing his behavior as an apology to mm -hmm. uh, the family of um, Nancy and Correct. Nancy specifically. And I just, I didn't, obviously I didn't write down the whole letter, but I jotted down all of like examples of the manipulative language. Okay, sorry, my cat is doing something. I don't know. Um, his letter rationalizes his behavior. Um, things like, I guess a little, a few times, maybe, I realize my own weakness, how hard it is for me, and temptations present themselves. So it's all dismissive of his own behavior. It's still a confession. So Guilfoyle was angry because he couldn't deny it because mm -hmm. Oliver had written it down. So all he, so, but still, all he had to do was tell the family, oh, don't worry, he'll never move with children again as long as you don't press charges. And of course, we know that's not true because... I think also the thing about the letter that's so important is that mm. he must have been getting away with this for so long that he already did not fear consequences mm -hmm. and he already really? was very flagrant with his actions and i feel like somebody that was worried about getting caught or worried that there would be consequences would never send that letter he at that point is already like i don't give a fuck no no he's untouchable right and he we, we know that he started his priesthood or, uh, in 1971. This is 1978, and he's been doing it since before he became a priest. Yeah. We, know, we, we know from later on in the movie. And also, um, he... Wow, my brain just went blank. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. But anyways, in, it's 1978 when Guilfoyle mm -hmm. moves him, um, and he only moves him 54 miles away which is insane. And it's, I also thought it was like an interesting commentary on a pre-internet world that like mm -hmm. you could move someone 54 mm -hmm. miles away and nobody would have any idea that he was so close and he was there or here that he, like, I feel like in, yeah. in the modern age, like you would hear about that. That's like, it's within an hour of Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And like hear about it, but it was, and everything was so uh -huh. disconnected that they could just like send him not even that bar and nobody in the old parish had any idea right and if and forgive me if i'm incorrect about this but lodi and turlock that whole area was far less developed than it is now i mean it was the 70s so these yeah. were like small disconnected towns towns where you know if you went to the catholic church you were 
really Catholic. And that was your priest was your therapist. He was your marriage counselor. He Mm -hmm. was your disciplinarian for your children. You didn't go get like, I feel like they would go to the priest before they would go to a doctor in some cases, you know, especially in really small towns. Yeah. And Um, I also think um, it's important to note that I just lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? 54 I know, it's so annoying. Oh my God, I, just, I like I really can't... just lost my train of thought. I was going to say, Something I think is... it's important. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Okay. Um, that if, like, I grew up Jewish, but I, in a very Catholic town, so I know about Catholicism a lot, and, like, mm-hmm. priests get moved around. Like, it's yep. not weird for a priest to be somewhere for four years and then move somewhere else for five years because somebody dies, so they need somebody to take the place because they work for the Catholic Church. It's they don't also, just work yeah. for that parish. So the people around him were not suspicious that he was being moved around. Like, Bob and Marie were not like, how come he keeps getting moved around? And I think that the church knew that and took advantage of that mm-hmm. because I think if priests didn't regularly get moved around, it would have looked suspicious, yeah. but they were able to just like bob and weave it right into the system that already existed. Right. It's kind of like certain schools, like especially junior high schools, the teachers usually only, la- most teachers only last like two years. So it's so normal for teachers to move around and they change mm-hmm. grades and all that. And I will say that's very common in not just in Catholicism, but in, in, uh, Protestant religions. Like my mom goes to a different Lutheran church, not the one that I grew up in, obviously, because it's corrupt, but um, she goes to a different one uh, and she loves it. And her, the pastor is a female and she's, as far as I know, she's great. Um, But she's like up for a bishopship. And so they're, you know, they have their own, their own hierarchy. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not weird at all. I would never think, oh, Pastor Anita's leaving because she was molesting people. Like, you know. It wasn't suspicious. And that's how they were able to get away with doing this for so Mm -hmm. long. And I just think that's important to note because if you don't know anything about the Catholic religion and not even, I hate to say the Catholic religion because this is nothing that we're really talking about is biblical. What we're talking about is a hierarchy of the Vatican. And what I, it's like the Catholic church Inc is what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I, this is uh, where I want to point out uh, father Tom Doyle, who I love. Mm -hmm. Um, He is a Canon lawyer. Canon is like the scripture basically a Canon lawyer and historian. um, And he basically explains throughout the movie, the breakdown of what, what is business and what is corrupt versus Mm -hmm. what it should be. And he is a priest, but he says, you know, later on, I've lost so many opportunities and I've been fired several times because I refuse to be silent about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a squeaky wheel and we love him, but he's not, he's not obnoxious at all. He's very well-spoken. And he says, um, the church is a monarchy. Okay. So the monarchy are the protected individuals and all the lay people just need to be docile and obedient. So basically, and he goes on to say that, you know, the Eucharist and, and communion, the taking of the wafer, the, the blood of Christ and the bread of Christ also was never supposed to be a position of power, but the church made that an honor because it's um, I can't remember the, the wording, but it's, it's a politicized role. He said it's a politicized position of power to be able to be the one that consecrates, consecrates or uh, blesses the communion and then, you know, gives it to other people. Whereas with like Jesus Christ, the whole idea was like, no one needs to be special to do this. Look, I'm you, you're me. Here's some bread. It's my body, whatever. I mean, who knows how much of that is true? Like, honestly, I'm not a, <laughs> not a Bible mm-hmm. truther or anything, but like, I, it's not literal. Um, but anyway, uh, 
yeah, it's all bastardized bullshit. And then we get into the Pope and it's just like, oh God, I can't, it just all has to end, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and this is, I have no, I know Catholics. I know, I, uh, so many people that are religious, I have nothing against them. It's, it's a system, you know, it's a broken mm-hmm. system. Uh, right. So anyway, uh, let me get back to where I was. And I as had- you said, this exists in a lot of religious communities in the Orthodox Jewish Absolutely. community. It's a, a huge problem. The difference between the Vatican and the Orthodox Jewish community mm-hmm. is that these are really com- in the Orthodox Jewish community. It's like very community dependent. So they only have maybe 5,000 people. They just, the reason that it's so huge in the Vatican is just like how big the Vatican is and well, how yeah, the, reaching it how is. How powerful the Vatican is. Yeah, exactly. That's why it, like, it start, it's not, it's not unique though to the Catholic no, Church. It's not even unique to religion. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we meet a lot of people in this and I, I, you know, we meet, um, some specialists and then uh, people that are the lawyers for these families, but they're all very involved in the fight against mm-hmm. this cover up. Uh, and, Okay, here it is. Yes. Uh, Doyle and I think Patrick Wall, who is a historian, he describes the power of the Eucharist, which is communion, as a political power and a way to control and punish, quote unquote, sinners. So it's just another way to be like, I'm in charge. You're not. You know, I'm God. And I therefore I take away sin. I don't have to you know, be forgiven or whatever. Um, so anyway. Oh, Mary Gale. That's who the clergy abuse psychiatrist was. And she brought up what you mentioned, which, uh, thank you for bringing that up, the spiritual abuse, being abused by an embodiment of the divine. So that's a whole other level than just physical or sexual abuse or even emotional abuse, because that's like you're being hurt by what what you're taught is you know, the, the most entity. important thing in your entire yeah. life in the entire universe. Yeah. Absolutely. And your ticket to salvation, right? Because in Catholicism, yeah. it's all about going to heaven and not going to hell. It's all about sinning. It's oh, sin, 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 sin. We're all sinners. We all have to be baptized or else we'll go to purgatory. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in that. Thank God. Um, it's really intense. Like in your penance is this many Hail Marys and you have to sit in a box and tell an old man about all your sexual desires. Like it's just, ugh. I, I can't, I've never been able to reconcile that um, inside of my own head. Um, but Nancy, okay, so we're back to Nancy. And in 1986, she asked to meet with O'Grady. And Monsignor Kane, who's in the deposition, he's older than God, uh, told her vengeance is a sin. Um, so basically, it's, there's a whole lot of blaming the victim going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he lies. I, I, I don't know. We can get into the deposition, but all it is is O'Grady very unashamedly, unabashedly talking about what he did and everybody else being like, well, I have no idea. <laughs> and then the well, lawyers, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It's important because what they're doing, it's just more paperwork because <laughs> she went and asked Kane to see O'Grady and for the reason. And then Kane is still denying that he had any knowledge of what O'Grady right. was doing, but Nancy specifically told him and requested so a meeting. Proof. So it's just more paper trail. And not only that, but she was told by him, uh, you were a girl. So yes. this doesn't really matter. That's normal curiosity. If you were a boy, which we know isn't true. They didn't care yeah. 
about no. boys being molested. But that was some weird rationalization, some way to like stick it to her for being a woman or a girl. Uh, well, she's a woman at that point. You were a girl, yeah. so it was normal curiosity, which is just like, I, I can't. And you know, it's really what Nancy was doing is pretty remarkable. The fact, as we said, the fact that her parents even contacted the church is pretty, oh, yeah. is pretty it's a big crazy. Deal. And then in the eighties, nobody was talking about the Catholic church cover-ups and abuse. And she was already like on the case advocating for herself. I'm sure she didn't think there was like hundreds of thousands no. of other victims and that she was like going to be part of this huge movement. Like she was just trying to like get justice for herself. And it's pretty incredible that she was doing this in the eighties. It is, especially because in the 80s, child advocacy was not a thing. <laughs> I mean, not a widespread thing. I don't, you know, it, it really yeah. wasn't um, until at least a decade later that I think they started, you know, educating children about stranger danger and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So, right. And then that leads very seamlessly into Adam and his family. Oh, which is, this is really interesting. I actually mm -hmm. thought this was very interesting. I was curious how many other families that he was able to do this with. So I think it's, I think what's really interesting one is, so Bob and Marie were like very religious, right? right. So yes. Father Grady was like full priest with them. Like he, every morning when he slept over, he'd be doing his prayers. Like he was their priest. He was their friend, but he was in full priest mode. And then with Adam's family, he saw that there was a lot of turmoil in the parents' mm -hmm. marriage, that they weren't necessarily the most religious people, that right there in. was like, yeah, there was this crack. And so it's very interesting to see what families he used, what dynamics to get in. And in Adam's family, he fucked his mom. Yes. It, it's, and it seems like they're all still together. I don't know. We see Adam as an adult, a young adult with his mm -hmm. family, with his parents um, and his dad, who I don't even think they gave his dad's name, um, describes, you know, I grew up a Catholic. I grew up being told what to believe and it's this mm -hmm. and this guy moved right in he he says himself he knew who to go after and becky the mom who it's clear she's just so broken and unhappy mm -hmm. um says he was the wolf and i was the gatekeeper yeah she says Ugh. how could i have been so wrong and it's like well becky you were manipulated by a sociopath you know it just shows how smart he is because he could have never mm -hmm. came on to marie she'd be like get out of my house and report yes. him to the church and be like this is the most horrific thing like <laughs> you are a priest like but with adam's family he was a pro yes. very able to see that like the mom was a lot more vulnerable and yes. probably had personal issues like and there's no I, boundaries there's no boundaries with this guy so he's like well this is my job to help you you know yeah and, and i forget i keep forgetting but the you know they show pictures of him when he's younger and it's like yeah i mean he's not unattractive he looks like bob odenkirk he does Doesn't i totally he, thought a younger one thing. i was That's like who does he hilarious. look like he like, I, oh, he looks the same thing young i mean he's like not hot by any means but he's no. like attractive he's genial he looks like someone you'd be like oh my god come to our yes. barbecue yeah yeah um ugh. anyway but i was yeah. shocked by that the first time i saw that when they said that he slept with uh adam's mom because i was like i know i, I, I just was With i parents. just was not expecting that at 
all. It and really it just shows either. the length that he went to. And it was just, for whatever reason, it was like, I knew that this movie was about pedophilia, right? And that, like, mm-hmm. we know that it's about child abuse. And we meet exactly. Adam, so we're like, oh, he definitely abused Adam. But then to find out that, I mean, I would consider what he did to have his mom essentially sexual assault if he was mm-hmm. sleeping with her in order to get to Adam. Oh, so it absolutely. may not have been like rape as we know it, but it's like such deceptive. Like there's, I would imagine that she felt assaulted after like she realized Coercive. everything that happened, absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. Not just the position of power, which is definitely a thing, but yeah. then Adam. And so it's like he was assaulting grown women too, just to get yes. more children. Yes. And I guess I had never considered that would be a thing. I know it's a thing that pedophiles use because they marry single women, right? Like yeah. a single woman is a lot more vulnerable who has children, I mean, like a single mother is what I'm saying, is a lot more vulnerable Mm -hmm. to predators. And so I know that this is like a thing, obviously, but I just, because he was a priest, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually, um, that's why, that's how I ended up being molested. It wasn't my parent, but my adult cousin, much older than me cousin, was watching us and it was her boyfriend and he Mm -hmm. dated women to get to their children or to children that they had access to. And he knew that we were going, my parents were going on vacation and he came with her to babysit us. And she never even told my parents he was coming. Um, And I was seven and, you know, that's all it took. Um, Anyway, he, yeah. Another striking thing too is like, not that this isn't horrifying enough, but exactly like you said, you you thought you knew what to expect. Uh, Right before we talk about Adam, I did kind of skip over a little bit, but that's fine. Right before we talk about Adam, um, we hear that his victim count, Oliver's victim count is over a hundred at least. And that his youngest known victim is nine months old. And they said that he, this is so sick. They said that he penetrated, he penetrated her, which it doesn't even make sense to me how she wouldn't die. I like, it must've been not, I don't even, yeah. They also, like, they say that they don't think he even knows how many victims he has. Like, no, it's he, probably yeah. impossible for him to keep track. To keep just track, because exactly. Because so many children. And also, you would imagine that with some of them, it was just a grope. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, a quick oh, rope, And that he wasn't he able get. to get more access. So, mm-hmm. like, when you include that stuff, which I absolutely do, like, it could be thousands. Yeah. Like, in my notes here... It's crazy. And in my notes here, it's like, okay, I highlighted that, right? That's gross. That's bad. That's bad. But then this is what I put in bold with the parents. Because <laughs> I was just so caught off guard. Yeah. 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 I just, you know, I did paper notes today because I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I pause less when I write on paper, but then I don't want the sound to catch on the microphone. So I'm like holding it down here on the floor. That is true. Um, I did a I did a podcast last night and I could hear her. Like she took a lot of notes and I appreciated it so much and I could hear her paper flipping and I was like, it's okay. She took great notes. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a learning curve, right? I'm just like, I'll just do this like my dad, because he's farsighted. Um, yeah, so I mean, and we we hear from Adam, who honestly is very self-possessed. Uh, as angry as he is, he's not angry at his parents. And he says, My parents are victims just as much as I am, and he mm-hmm. said you know, there was no segue for me being groomed. He said it, he just started right in the first time. Um, it happened right over there. He's pointing to the church, like outside the church. And he says, uh, he held me down and he fucking sodomized me right there. And it's like, Oh my God. And he's like, it's hard to say that 
because I buried it for so long, but clearly now he's not. And it's like, wow. It's... Yeah. And I think um, he was able to get away with the lack of grooming in a lot of cases because yeah. he didn't well, the parents, have to groom yeah. them. Be mm -hmm. No, because the church had already groomed them. Oh, absolutely. Because they yes. were, he was already a, Pay, a pray. holy figure that mm -hmm. had a connection to God that children, especially in the seventies and eighties are taught to respect above all else. So yes. in a way, which is why, which in some cases can be wonderful because you can have a spiritual leader who makes mm -hmm. your life significantly better. And there has to be that trust there and yeah. that all knowing thing. And like, it if just they're is benevolent. Very, absolutely. Like you were describing like your mom's preacher. Yeah. She loves, she's like, she's great. And she does really help my mom. And when I and, came to my mom about my molestation, my mom's pastor is the one who really helped her get through it, you know? Like, so it's yeah. kind of, you know, it's like, so it's opposite. like, that's, that's the duality of this. And the yes. sadness of this is that Absolutely. like, he didn't need to groom a lot of these kids because the church had already groomed them. But when I say the church had groomed them, I, I don't really want to say groomed. I don't think that's fair. I think the church just conditioned. And I think the church had like, I, I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I think that in its purest form, religion and Catholicism and all religions can be very beautiful and wonderful and spirituality mm -hmm. is wonderful. And so I think it is incredible when you have like an incredible priest who all of the parishioners trust so much. And he really is the spiritual deity over them and like really is able to guide them and really does have a connection with God that he's able to share with other people. And that's so beautiful. And it's just so sad that in that same system, then predators can come in yeah. and take advantage of the thing that's so pure and beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really well said. Thank you. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I am, I do consider myself spiritual. Yeah. I'm like a universe person. Same. Absolute same. Um, but Chakras. I have, yeah, I have a lot, like, at the older I've gotten, the less, like, staunch atheist I've gotten, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I've been able to appreciate religions a lot more for, like, what they can do for people. And, yeah, so, like, the beauty of it all, it's so sad that, like, such darkness can, can happen because it exploits the beauty it does and then it breaks people's faith i mean bob at the end you know he has oh. some major breakdowns and at the end of this film he says i don't believe there is a god how, how can i believe there's a god and it's just oh. like oh bob i'm so sorry he just he breaks and he's like you know i, I think he says my anger is so hard like he just, he's so, he's fighting so hard to get past his anger. And right before that, um, much to your point of the church conditioning people, you know, um, Father Doyle, who is part, who is a priest, says the Catholic church as we know it has three rules, pay, pray, and obey. And it shouldn't mm -hmm. be like that. And that's how it is. And that's how it was at the corrupt church that I grew up in or how it ended up being. It was like, all this money just going to the pastor so he could remodel his house and buy new cars and hang out and have an affair, we think, with the organist. Who knows? It was creepy. It was a lot of creepy things. Anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot of, we hear a lot from Bob and Maria again um, about, I would like to touch on when they find out or when it kind of comes to a head. So we have to go back just a little bit uh, before Adam, but there was 
obviously we know there's hundreds, but, or at least a hundred. There was another male victim um, and his, his brother, I believe that. Yeah. Well, that was when O'Grady mm-hmm. finally starts to get in a little bit of trouble. Yes. Kind of. Um, this is when the police get involved. And yes. I will note that I, it is boys, you know what I mean? So maybe like they were taking it a little more seriously because it was boys oh. and it was perverted yeah. because it was gay, right? Like that's like, mm-hmm. it's not that, it's not that boys victims were treated better because that's not no. the case, especially like, it's not the case whatsoever, but what the, what is the case is homophobia is like yeah. a very real thing. And so there's like that extra element of like homophobic disgust at a man like assaulting a boy child that I think uh, motivates other men to like do something. Which is so um, absurd considering, as they said in the movie, you know, child pedophiles, they're not, they're not, they're not gay, gay. they're not straight, they're, they're they're pedophiles. They want children. Yeah. Yeah, They want, but there's, you know, it's, especially in what years was it like 82 or whatever 85 oh, yeah, like absolutely you know and it still is that i think that and this I all think coincides, that's yeah. why it got a little more serious at that time i'll agree with you and that's not just in the church you know i found out as an adult that the person who assaulted me sexually you know who's an adult he was 35 at the time and i was 7 he kept on going with it and the time that he was finally locked up for a few years was for raping two boys. Mm-hmm. So there was no, not, no word about any female victims, but of course he had them. I mean, he had tons. That's what he did. Yeah. He, yeah. And he, exactly what you said, he married women and then quote unquote cheated on them, but with children, like it's, Oof. it's so gross. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I think he cheated on them with other women who had kids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. It was just a cycle for him. Uh, so yes, they, I believe those are the Howards. So the Howard family was not in the film. However, they did give uh, their like uh, paper trail, so to speak, so that we have information about what happened um, and what really brought this guy to find, to trial. Yeah, and I don't think they're trying to be anonymous because the other victims and the other victims' families were openly talking about them. They're like, "Well, and then the Howard no, I boys." Don't. And I, so I, don't I think either. like. I and think clearly they it. wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been, oh, right. And their lawyers involved. Yeah. So they wouldn't have been openly speaking about them so much. They would have done an anonymous oh, no, name. No. They wouldn't have used their last name. So it's clear that even though they don't participate in this, like yeah. this is authorized. Oh, absolutely. And I, you don't get the feeling that it's not because it says the Howard's consented to this, this, and this, and then there are lawyers yeah. on and good. I mean, if you're more comfortable with your lawyer being on, that's absolutely. fine. He's re- very well-spoken. He says, you know, there's such a high level of deception, perjury, denial, and deceit at the highest levels of the Catholic church. And the Howard's lawyer is somebody who is a career lawyer against, correct. Against this, like the church. Yeah. I mean, not against the church, but against the cover up. Like he, he's been taking these guys on. I think that, I think he like stumbled into it. You know what I mean? Like, I think when you get one, one client and then that client tells that client and then that client tells that client and it's a lucrative like I'm not yeah that sounds like I'm like calling him like a money chaser but I'm not but there are lucrative settlements so he's able to fund himself like it's a good career for him money wise like you know what I'm saying he's able to concentrate on it because there are lucrative settlements which means that he can just concentrate on this as there should be (laughs) yeah yeah as there should be it's like 
it's easier to stay long-term going after something if you're also making money. I mean, and somebody representing victims, children vic- victims, like I'm not going to be mad about him making money yeah. off of that. Like yeah. he's not exploiting them. Um, yeah. And so I uh, should mention the way that this ever ended up going to any kind of a court situation uh, was because uh, up until 84, you know, at this point, he, O'Grady had been moved twice. So this is his third or fourth. This was I his think fourth. third. Third. Okay. Third. Uh, and he calls it the 84 situation as though it yes. was a car crash. Anyways, he says, well, I started to think something's not right again. It's like, what? Cause you're not in control. So he acts like he's not in control of his own behavior. Well, he says, this is not when I him. started to get scared because I wasn't yeah. sure what's going to happen. And surprise, nothing happens because the church really pressures the police into dropping it and does what they did with Nancy's parents and promises that they are going to completely take him out of all anywhere that a child could be. I'm assuming they told him we're going to send him to a monastery. Like he's going to an all male monastery. Like he's never going to be around children again. And I'm sure the cops are like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to prosecute. There's another level of it. Like it's hard to prosecute. These boys would have to be yes, testify against him. Really and I, I'm sure. And they didn't know about the, the police are like, the they, didn't know, they didn't know about else. the past. And the police are like, he'll get away from kids. Yeah. These boys won't have to deal with them ever again. They won't be dragged through a court case. They won't be made public. And this is all very neat and closes up. And so, yes, of course the police should have pursued it to the fullest extent, but I, I also can understand how if you're a law enforcement person, you like are like, okay, like this victim's still going to get justice because they're getting in trouble and they're going away and they won't be able to harm any more children. And then it doesn't have to be this messy thing. Like I can see how that happened. I can too, because the letter that was written by the Howards was not written to law enforcement. It was written to Monsignor who said, oh, I never thought those two incidences could have anything to do with each other because one's a boy and one's a girl. I was like, that's the worst lie I've ever heard. Um, But the only reason police got involved at that point uh, was because uh, uh, O'Grady, I almost called him O'Reilly, O'Grady went to a professional counselor this time, a layman, as he calls him, which is like, and he's like, he's quite helpful, uh, but he really pulled the tablecloth out. I I suddenly saw how horrible and destructive everything was, and I couldn't comprehend, I didn't want to comprehend what was going on. I'm like, okay, more passive language. But Mm -hmm. the therapist goes, I need to report this, asshole. (laughs) You know, I don't give a shit that you're a priest. So it gets reported, and that's when they move him away to ostensibly get out of these charges to San Andreas, which is Nowheresville. Yeah, and I would also be curious if after the, this is pure speculation, yes. if after this happened, if the bishop started really, really talking about how the priests only can get counseling with other priests because mm-hmm. all of the counseling, they get into yes. this, but all of the counseling between the priests is confidential. The priests can never be compelled to testify what the priests tell them. So what they do in the church with these molesters is that they have them go to counseling, but mm-hmm. all the counseling is privileged and they're like not even like not even for mandated reporting. Right. And that is something that they made up around this time. <laughs> that wasn't a thing before. It was priest to confessor, but it was not bishop yeah. to priest. So they made it so that anything that priest told the bishop, the bishop didn't have to say in court. Yes. So I would imagine that 
that case was like, uh oh, we got to yep. make sure that they're not going yep. Here to we go. the therapist anymore. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so the that victim, yes, I'm sorry, I already talked about that. He uh, goes to San Andreas, which is. And, and he says, oh, uh, I really just wish the bishops uh, would have removed me and followed up with the victims. That would have been nice. It's like, remove yourself, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Um, and that's when I started getting really mad and I was just like, no one's going to feel bad for you. So he says the bishop who is now, um, uh, different, it's not Monsignor anymore because he's like old. It is Mahoney who is a real asshole. So Um, at this time, O'Grady writes Mahoney a letter. That's like, once he gets to San Andreas, which by the way, he is, this is, he got a only priest. He got, he got a wrote. promotion. He got a fucking promotion. Now he has a congregation, which obviously has kids and he, there's no one else there. It's, it's like, just him. The, it's like truly he got, the worst place they could ever move him to. Right. And, um, and he says once, when he's getting moved, he says to, uh, Mahoney, the bishop who is, who is going, who is actively seeking a higher position at the time. Yes. Um, Oh, it was like these 40 days of desert. He's, he's likening himself to Jesus mm-hmm. during, you know, because Lent is 40 days, 40 nights, but it was really supposed to be 40 months in the Bible, I think, maybe. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> um, he uses this scripture allegory, and I'm like, uh, you really think you're God? And the bishop is, of course, compassionate. And then he's moved, like you said. And then they really point out this ideal. I believe this was... Doyle again. He says there's a saying, um, bima figura or yeah, something like that. Berma figure. I think it's an M. Bima figura in Italian, which means good image. And this is what the monarchy of the Catholic church cares about. You know, Mahoney is concerned. This is the bishop again with his image. So to avoid scandal, he moves, um, O'Grady out of jurisdiction to San Andreas with no supervisor, uh, and he says, no one would know. Even Rome wouldn't know. Yeah, because they couldn't have anybody know because he wanted to be the Archbishop of Los Angeles, like, which is like one of go. the biggest like congregations or districts or whatever it's called in the country. It's an extremely powerful position. Yeah. And yeah, so O'Grady writes him this letter that's like, thank you so much for yeah. your help. I really appreciate it. Like what you've done for me is like, I'm internally grateful for what you've done for me. And we see in a deposition where Mahoney's being asked about this. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, you know, I had no idea what this even meant at the time. I thought he was so just weird. Being, like, he was like, it was flowery. I thought he was just being like too nice. And but then like, we have his response because of the yeah. search warrants. We have his effusive response. It's like, oh, I'm so glad to be here for you. And I'll always defend you. It's like just as flowery. It's almost romantic. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. So he like, they have all of this stuff. They have all of these letters. Yeah. It's wild. And it's wild because there's so much stuff they couldn't get. They say that not the desp- deposition, the deposition I should say happened after, uh, after Mahoney was released from prison and deported to Ireland. Um, and it's kind of part of the ongoing re- uh, investigation that I must have helped le- lead him back to jail, which you found out. So thank you for being a good researcher. Um, but yeah, it, there's another quote here. Mahoney chose power and glory over protecting children, which is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and then we meet, Det- oh, there is this like interesting thing of, 
uh, detective Mike Walker, who yeah, he was very weird. He read as very weird on camera. He was like it's so fun to be on TV. Like it's like he, it was slimy the way he was describing. It, it. was it weird, was very weird. But basically, what probably he said, just weird on camera. I'm yeah, sure some people I'm like sure. the camera gets there and are like not sure how to act <laughs> at all. <laughs> like when you're a kid and you're just like, what? yeah. <laughs> you would think though that he would be a lot more somber. There's no somberness to what he's saying. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but he basically the only point of him is normally, and this is true, and it's so stupid. It takes six to seven sessions of marriage counseling with a priest before you can get married. And by mm-hmm. the way, I'm sure you've been to a Catholic wedding. Um, or if, if not, um, they're long, there's a sermon, and it's all about, like, divorce and not letting God down. It's not romantic at all. Uh, but anyway, um, but so this detective in Calaveras County where he goes to Father O'Grady's church, he and his wife go, and they meet with O'Grady once, and O'Grady clocks that he's a police officer, and he's like, oh, you guys can get married right away. <laughs> you know, it's just so obvious that he's just trying to stay under the radar. Yeah. And getting good with the people, people around there. So it's, it's about after this, we, we see Adam after this time wise. And then um, it really comes down to, okay, arrest warrants are secured. Search warrants for all parishes and offices are secured. But then Bob bails O'Grady out. This is Bob Giono, the mother of the father. Well, of Anne. hold on. So before he, Bails O'Grady out. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls and talks to Anne, and Anne is like O'Grady saying to Anne, "Like I didn't do it," and she's like, "Well, if you didn't do it, like you didn't do it." And remember, like sh- they had not heard. Sorry, Maria, not Anne. Anne's the daughter. Maria, sorry, sorry. That's no, okay. <laughs> they had not heard any mumblings of anything. They had Absolutely. no idea. Oh, and they I am were not like blaming them. I'm not. Yeah, I know. I just think it's important to mention, like they were like, "Well, if you didn't do it, you didn't Absolutely. do it." Like you, the basically like the truth the powers and the truth. She yep. even spoke to his family in Ireland, like, and guaranteed, like, promised that they would help take care of him because they had not heard of any of this. And then finally, yep. Bob goes to bail him out mm-hmm. and O'Grady says something about, well, there was an incident mm-hmm. nine years ago. And then Maria sees the paper, the article in the paper that spells that out. And she yes. goes, this couldn't have happened to our kids because, of course, that's her first thought. Mm-hmm. And then she calls Anna and Anna won't, or Anne, and Anne won't respond. I don't know why I wrote Anna. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but Maria knows. And she says, I'm going to have Bob call because Anne won't lie to Bob for whatever reason. And he calls and Anna says, yes. And quote, Bob says, and the whole world collapsed. He said, it destroyed yeah. our lives and our family. I handed her over to this bastard on a silver platter. That was Maria. And then it's really heartbreaking. Bob breaks down. He's like, He's talking calmly and he's like, it's not, it's not molesting. He raped her. Like he just starts yeah, yelling. It's, and it's I like, mean, oh. it, this is like, I was sobbing watching this. Absolutely. Like, it's so devastating. Um, they also explained, and I thought this was really important. And we I, should be really careful about how we talk to children and what we say to children. Yes. Yes. Please because take it away. Explain this. Anne, it, Anne says that she never told because Bob had always said, which is, this is not an uncommon phrase, right? Bob had always said, like, if anybody hurts my kids, I'm going to kill them. Mm -hmm. And she believed it. But like, I'm sure he was saying it not in jet, but like the way that dads do, right? Like that's a very common thing. Or husbands or boyfriends or moms or girlfriends or whomever. Exactly. That's such a common thing to say. So Anne knew that she was being hurt 
knew that her father would kill him. And so she asked another kid, what happens if your dad kills someone? And the kid said he goes to jail for life. And that day she decided she was never going to tell her dad. And I like, I think that's startling and so important. And it just like, it really went through. Yeah. It really just like reaffirms how careful we have to be when we speak to children Yes, and like what we need to tell children about abuse and about people hurting them and like how, just how careful we need to be. And I like have never really thought of it like that because a lot of times the predators are able to keep the kids quiet because they're like, if you tell, I'll kill yes. your family. So yes. that's like they're protecting their family that way. So but, it is different. But You're right. the fact that she was like, had like really taken to heart this, like her dad was going to kill some, kill him if he found out. And so she couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. It was just like, fuck, we have to be so careful what we say to kids. Well, and that's a very pure form of taking responsibility and even blame for something that is not your fault. She thought, okay, it's my responsibility mm-hmm. now to deal with this and to carry it. Mm-hmm. And it was, she was actually protecting the priest as well in that sense, because, you know, he would yeah. have been, I don't think Bob would have killed him, but in her mind, Bob would have killed him. Yeah. Well, Bob even says, cause I would have killed him. And then he stops himself and he's like, I shouldn't have said that because yeah. she didn't tell us because of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has a lot of regret for saying that. So not his fault, though. It's also part of the church thing. It's like if they weren't raised to believe that this guy was God, mm-hmm. she probably wouldn't have thought so much about that quote. You know, like he was yeah. the exception. Anyone else probably is like who she thought her dad was talking about. But God, you can't kill God. Like, you know, yeah. you, you'll. So it's it's not on his shoulders, but I fully understand him feeling that way. And that's just like, the awfulness of, of that, of the fallout of this. And it's something that uh, O'Grady pretends to care about, but very much doesn't. Um, and yeah, so then it kind of really breaks, breaks down. And Doyle says, Mon- monarchical hierarchical system, oh, sorry, the system is the reason Mahoney is believed to be substantially more important than those children. Uh, so basically, Mahoney is more important, and therefore he didn't want to take down O'Grady, uh, and, or didn't really care one way or another. And and then we finally hear from Anna, like at length about her experiences mm-hmm. and how this has affected her life. And it's like I'm sure you can imagine, but it's really sad to hear somebody say, you know, um, I don't have kids, I'm not married, I don't know how to go to church. I want to, but I can't. You know, she's very. Yeah. Um, She's still yeah. really in pain. Yeah, she says she's 39 and she it's yeah. still like all consuming. Which you don't need to be married and have kids, but if that's something you wanted and you feel yeah. like you can't have it because of it, oh God. Yeah, exactly. And Bob says, I feel betrayed by the church. It's like to say the least, because you were yeah. very, very uh, purposefully betrayed. It was like, yes. you don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... Mahoney, the bishop, I, all I mentioned was, oh, okay. So basically the only one that could have put Mahoney away was O'Grady. So when O'Grady's on trial, Mahoney's people go to him and say, hey, don't testify against Mahoney, even though you've been compelled by the law and exchange will take care of you. 
And so they bought him an annuity, which means they're going to pay for the rest of his life, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of tries to lie about it on the stand, but it, it's not. It's, he kind of balks and then he's like, okay, yeah, when I'm 65 or whatever. But I think clearly they gave him money the whole time. And then we see Anna right after this saying, my parents didn't get any reparations from the church. What, what about mm-hmm. them? Their life is ruined. They're victims too. And so it's just really awful. Um, but Mahoney looks uncomfortable in the de- deposition, but I don't know. I don't know if you can be capable of guilt if, if, if you're able to do that. Yeah. I, it's hard. It's hard to, I don't know. I think that maybe yes. I, I think obviously you have a level of compartmentalization mm-hmm. that is very, very high. Um, right. And I wonder yes. if eventually that comes shattering down. Um, but maybe he's a sociopath too. I think we don't know enough about Mahoney to like really, no. to really say like if he had guilt or what he wanted. Looks like you know a, what I mean? Like, yeah. You know what he looks like? He looks like he could be a, like a vampire, like on one of the old Dracula movies. I was actually thinking how normal he looked, which I know is a weird, like a weird thing to say, but in the depositions, he's pretty young. Yeah. He's like in his forties. Every other person that's on this yeah. is like an old fucking man. That's like that like like i don't know when i hear an 80 year old priest be like well i didn't connect the boy and the girl it's like it's one thing but mahoney's like young and and handsome and in his eyes you're like i wrote i in his eyes he's not good with god like there's something there where it's it's cracking his facade at one point during the deposition yeah i'm like there's no way like and it's greed it's manufactured greed and it's manufactured uh well and he got it he was the archbishop until 2011 yep still fighting for what was the number um 556 priests that were i don't know accused i guess he was defending all of them um so So yeah that's so many and we and that's just in his little district it's fucking crazy um so we find out they basically they're like yeah this investigation there was so much left hanging because of the things that they were able to conceal by creating this this new confidentiality law and also by covering up a lot that they whatever they could get rid of or cover up they certainly did yeah. no one was cooperative um and so it went quickly and he gets 14 years in 1993 he only serves seven mm-hmm. and that is when he is released and they somebody says it's so quick but somebody says um the diocese knew of O'Grady's pedophilia from the beginning of his career, which is one of the many reasons that they wanted this trial to go quickly. Um, and so he's released and deported to Ireland and he's just living his fucking life. That's what I wrote. Yeah. Just it's living his life. Heinous. And they do a really good job of making him look terrifying. Just like they walking do. around. Standing like, by children with that look in oh, his eyes. Like, he's like and side-eyeing this is what I children. Mean, this is what I mean by like, I really... I have a big problem when people that don't deserve it are given platforms. I think that that's like really fucked up. And I don't, and like the thing that's so incredible about this movie is that she has the perpetrator speaking so much and we're seeing him so much and he's not given a platform at all. In fact, he is made to look like an absolute terror. Yeah. He's a monster. Um, He's a, what is it? A, wolf in sheep's clothing yeah because he's so soft voice he's so yeah. mild mannered With that little ting accent yeah he's like very calm he's like very calm 
Yes. And that's a, that is a trick. If you're not rattled, people will be like, oh, yeah. I guess you didn't do it. They're not rattled. <laughs> like, exactly. Because yes. normal people can't act like that. No. So a normal person is like giving the benefit of the doubt to somebody else. And is like, well, I couldn't act like that if that happened to me. So obviously you're telling the truth. Yeah, that is pretty much exactly it. Uh, so should we discuss that at one point he decides he's going to send letters to all of oh his victims God. apologizing, which is like yes. the most fucked up thing. Like he is terrorizing. He wants, okay. these so people. what? I, yes, he is. And what I wrote is he's doing this because he wants to get off on here. He wants them to come and tell him what he did to them. If mm -hmm. that isn't a method for an abuser to continue to get off on his abuse. I don't know what is. And um, sorry if that was loud. Uh, and then we, at, right after he is writing this letter and we hear him dictating it as he writes it, because he's such a psycho, um, literally, uh, he sends this mass letter. It's the same letter to all the victims. And we see um, our victims that we know, Adam, Nancy, and Anne, they're all together, which made me happy that they were talking yeah. about it to each other. And Anne were, and Nancy seemed like very close friends. Absolutely. And they were like, well, first of all, this is the last thing I want to go see him. But then they confirmed that. They're like, yeah, he just wants to collect memorabilia yeah. from this. Uh, and she says, Nancy says, if I thought he had a heart, I guess I might go. But no. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think that was really, I think oof. Nancy had done a lot of work on herself. I agree. I think Nancy is by far the person of the three that we see that has well, um, really worked she, through this the most. And I think she probably just started dealing with it much earlier. Really early on. And she's she had, dealing with it in 1986. You know what her, I mean? And, and her parents are advocating for her and that's a big Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And it only, ha I mean, only happened like that one weekend with her. I say only because that's, I understand. you know, like, it, that's, no, I, but I it wasn't like Anne. It's so different for Anne. Five from to when she twelve. Was five, I think fourteen. They said. Oh my god! Like her, almost her entire childhood, Unreal. and then she didn't tell for years. And her parents were still close okay. to him, and he was such a figure in their life. As a, Nancy had a very different circumstance. You know what I mean? She was taken advantage of this weekend away. Right. Her parents found out right away. They immediately were like on her side and trying to get her help. And then he was immediately moved and she never had to deal yep. with him again. And That's so absolutely. she could, I like, I, I, it's just so different. It's so different. It's not that she has less trauma. Like, no. I don't, I don't think it's like that. It's, it's just, just like treatment. what Anne went, what treatment. Anne went through is like. Yeah. Prolonged. Uh, prolonged for so many years. And also I think because Nancy's family as far as we know did not fall apart over this you know what i mean like nancy doesn't talk we know. about the like who knows what happened but nancy doesn't really speak about her parents nancy's right. not talking about the impact on like multi-generations of their family with this no. and i'm sure there was because their parents like the priest did like i'm sure there was turmoil but like Anne's family fell apart. Like her parents are still married, but like her parents are broken. ruined. Like broken. the the multi generational trauma that is going on in Anne's family, on top of the fact that her abuse lasts for so long, it's like of course Nancy is probably dealing mm -hmm. with it better. Which is like so good that Nancy's in Anne's life and they yeah. have each other because they're both gonna have harder times and better times, and you can balance each other out when you. Any, if you're a survivor of anything, it 
you know, within reason, it, it helps to have other survivors, obviously, that are looking for a healthy lifestyle yeah. um, to commiserate just, with. It's just what, you know, what Anne's family goes through is just, obviously, if this had been a family friend, right? Like a non-religious, like just like a family friend, it still would have been devastating. The parents still would have been besides themselves. They still would have been angry at themselves. There still would have been devastation. But the spiritual warfare that they then have to go through on top of all of the normal things that you go through in that horrific situation is kind of unimaginable to me. It really is because it's like when you're that religious... Yeah. That's your, your bedrock, you know, your life, your community, what you do every week. Like the people, probably all their friends were friends from the church. I mean, that's the literal, like, I don't know. I had to learn the song when I was a kid, but the metaphor is literal bedrock. It's the wise man built his house on a rock to see what he could see. And it's all about how building your foundation on Jesus is solid rock and building your foundation on sand, AKA not Jesus is, you know, you're not going to die or whatever. You're going to sink. Um, so yeah, it's ingrained for sure. So, and when you really subscribe to that and that's your life and you're comfortable with that and then it's ripped away from you, ripped, that's like, I mean, that is like being like, you know, there's no, there are a lot of people that grow up in religion and then as adults, like something happens and they move away from the religion and they leave the religion and it's really upsetting for them. You know what? Like there's, but it's not usually that they were directly hurt by the religion. Like, well, or if they were, I don't just like the layer like every bad thing that could happen to this family happened to them like not just this not just that not just this not just that all of it everything at one time yes and then um they they go to italy yeah it's really father really powerful they did they were going to raise awareness they knew they weren't going to be able to get a letter to the pope but um also pope benedict if you look up Pope Benedict and what he did in covering up for priests, Two um, fingers it's not for good. Pope Benedict. He's it's a not piece great. Of shit. He's a piece of shit. Before he was Pope, he yeah. it said explicitly he or the Pope were the only ones that could have done anything and neither of them did. And now he's Pope and he still doesn't give a shit. Do you remember when he became he Pope evil. and everybody yes. was, oh, he looks so evil. But do you remember when everybody was talking about the fact that he was in the Hitler youth when he, yes. and, but like, People are like, look, he was a kid in Germany. Like, all of the Aryan kids had to join. Like, we all kind of, I just think it's so crazy looking back. The thing that we were concerned about when he became Pope was that he was part of the Hitler Youth, which is probably pretty inconsequential considering he was like eight years old and it was just what you did. Depending Um, on his upbringing, yeah. Yeah. But like, it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we were so concerned about that when what we right. should have been concerned yeah, about. Yeah, why didn't this come up? He, <laughs> he was part of like the mass cover-up yeah, of pedophilia in the church. And he was like directly responsible for giving the orders down. And it's why the cases in the Catholic church are so unique because the orders just come from the top. And, oh, and it's so and, far reaching. And not only that, but sweet old Pope Benedict was given immunity from Bush when the U.S. wanted to charge him with conspiracy you know what to cover also, up sexual abuse. You know what the Catholic Church does act still to this day? They Sells lobby indulgences. No, they lobby against uh, extending statute of limitation laws. So if states, of they do. like a lot of states in the last 
15 years, I'd say, have really moved to like way longer statute of limitations. Like I believe, I'm pretty sure in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. that you can report child sexual assault until you're 50. Like I think that, so it's like not a statute of limitation based on when the crime occurred. It's like based on your Your age. age. That's I'm pretty sure. I, I would have to double check, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So a yeah. lot of a lot of states are moving to these long statutes because up until like 2000, I mean, rape like limitations were even less. I mean, if you watch season one of Law and Order SVU, SVU? there's an episode yes. where they're talking about the statute of limitations of rape being three years in mm-hmm. New York at that point, mm-hmm. and that's that was shot in 1999 or 2000. Unreal. So that tells you, like, and now I would bet New York statute of limitation is more well, like 20 years. You know what I mean? We very yes. quickly have lengthened the statute of limitations, especially when it comes to child sexual assault. And what yes. the church does, they have spent a lot of fucking money lobbying against these laws. And like, they will go and like plead for lawmakers because the each time the states do this, they then have to pay out millions of dollars because then all of a sudden all of these cases become eligible that were not eligible before mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it's, it's trying to swat away. it's really like when you look at the lobbying against the statute of limitations it's it's really bad and that's something that's still happening oh yes i know i'm very aware and it's really um disgusting that it exists and i mean I don't think a statute of limitation should exist on really anything. If you can bring something to trial, you can bring it to trial. I mean, there's, you know, there's reasons. Like, it does protect innocent people that, like, it's very, if you were, like, accused of something that you did not do 20 years beforehand, it would be very hard to defend yourself, which is why we have these statute of limitations. But it would also be really hard to convict you. Sure, sure. It's hard on both sides, but like the ideas behind statute of limitations, I understand. I I guess what I'm trying to say from a criminal, like as somebody (laughs) that has a criminal justice background, like the idea of it is to protect, like it all feeds into innocent until proven guilty. And it's like, yeah, they run out, the statutes of limitations run out so that you can't, like, so that the person can best defend themselves. And that's good. Like that is a good thing. That is like part of the bedrock of our judicial system. And we do want that. But at the same time, we need to balance it with victims and victims needs. And that's why we're with at least sexual assault stuff moving Mm -hmm. to such long Mm -hmm. statute limitations. Right. And I do agree with you that like, uh, like I won't get into it, but as someone who's been wrongfully accused of something, I didn't go to court but there was this crazy bitch that I worked with that made up a rumor that I made out with a 15-year-old when I was 22 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, it was really horrible. It was a really terrible experience. So I get what you mean. I clearly, I obviously didn't, and you guys <laughs> didn't do it. Um, yeah. But she was really awful, and she shouldn't have been working with kids. She was actually um, on drugs at the time, but she got hired because she was the camp leader's best friend's daughter and um yeah it was really fucked up guys don't maybe don't work for the ymca i don't know it depends on where you live but (laughs) but that ironically that same ymca um ended up getting prosecuted and shut down because about 10 years later or no that would be now about seven years later or something um they hired a kid who was again the son of somebody who worked there who was Mm -hmm assaulting very young children in the bathroom. I think he was 18 and the kids were, you know, like seven. And 
other counselors were saying this guy is not okay like he's doing shady shit and they the counselors ignored it and they um bullied the people they fired the people that reported the guy and then finally law enforcement got involved and the kid went to jail because he was molesting children so it's really ironic because they tried to take me down for doing nothing because they didn't like me um and then ended up being foiled because they let him molest. they didn't care that somebody was actually molesting children so it's sort of like the diocese and all that stuff it's like it, it had nothing to do with the children they didn't care they yeah. just they just wanted power and they wanted to play the game that they wanted to play. So I, I agree with you about the statute because the, I, I mean, if that I was never prosecuted for anything because there was no evidence of anything and it was bizarre. And that woman, yeah, but girl, imagine like you're 35 and somebody yes. comes to you and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't even know who that is. Like, yeah, it's, it's harder to defend yourself. So I do, absolutely. but the Catholic church lobbying against it is just, and spending money, spending church payers money. It's one, yeah, it's one of those things that's money. not, they're, yeah. They're spending tithing to do that. Yes. Oh, and probably, I mean, honestly, the amount of greed in Christianity, like, it, it's really ugly, um, especially the Catholic Church. I mean, when they're in Italy, I'm like, God, look at the fucking Vatican. It's so beautiful for all this just ugliness that we're thinking and learning about and and the ceremony and the pomp and circumstance and everything and it's like mm-hmm. this has nothing to do with god and you know i could go on for a long time about how the catholic church has not had much to do with actual faith for in a lot of ways you know like selling indulgences and being like sure give us money and we'll give you a, a fast pass to heaven like in disneyland yeah. um but yeah that would be a whole other podcast um but yeah, I, mean, I just think like as far as this movie goes Amy Berg does such an incredible job telling Absolutely. the story from start to finish. I have, so it's I was, a tight film. It's a tight film. I recommend very it. Tight. Um, so I was tweeting about this after I watched it and someone was like, oh, well, did you watch The Keepers? Do you remember that it was on Netflix right. about yeah. nuns? And I said, I watched one episode and at the time, do you remember Netflix was releasing true crime like series Constantly. like every minute? Well, because my favorite murder was big and they were like, exactly. oh, we better do well, it. The making a murder was such a hit. Is yeah, why they, sorry, that's, yeah. sorry, that's what I meant. <laughs> um, that's the podcast. So they, well, that being big too, also like when it right, this. like but making the a murder crime, was such a phenomenon. True crime renaissance. So yeah. I remember watching it, being like, I wish this was just a movie. I don't want to watch five episodes on this or however many episodes. So I'm I didn't watch it. I didn't watch um, it. <laughs> and I think that this film, I I think that documentaries like are so powerful and beautiful. And the idea that like you can sit down in an hour and a half and watch mm-hmm. something so impactful, like could this story have been told over six episodes? Like, yeah, there's so much shit that you could talk about. But I think the fact that she told such a tight story in an hour and 45 minutes that had a beginning, middle and end and such a clear message and so right. much information and like factual statistical information along with so much emotion is really I, the amount of notes I took just watching it. I don't know how the fuck she did that. <laughs> like, how did yeah. how did she edit to that point? I mean, it's she also every so clip a, is, is timed perfectly. She, like in she, terms of yeah. Sorry, go ahead. She has another film called Open Secret, which mm-hmm. is very good. It's about molestation in Hollywood. I highly suggest watching it. Okay. The issue is is that it ended up right when it came out or right before it came out. One of the people that was featured in it um was caught falsely accusing brian singer i believe of 
or like falsely accusing somebody. I don't remember exactly what it was, so I don't want to say for sure. And there's, but, there it is again. It's like we have to protect people that are actually innocent because there are people that are going to exactly. come out and do shit like that. Yeah. Also, no, like you're right. When you watch this and you watch what he's saying, it's like, well, maybe the childhood stuff was real by somebody, and like he just fabricated right. the adult stuff to like justify. Like, oh, you mean with this just, film? like just this guy like this guy in oh, general like okay. maybe he like decided because the childhood stuff was so awful then he like that's not an excuse for falsely accusing someone of something but oh the, no but amy's open secret i highly recommend you all watch it just figure out the guy that was lying and kind of ignore him and pay attention <laughs> to everything else just put a sticker on your tv I mean, it's incredible. Um, I mean, it was talking about Kevin Spacey, like being with young guys, and this is, you know, years before that was a he hard finally one gets taken down. That was a really hard one to learn about. And it's so good, and it just sucks okay. that like it really I'll watch it. got. Unfortunately, you know what I mean. Like the credibility of the whole movie kind of got shot when it came yeah. out that one of the accusers was a liar, and I I do understand that. Like you're. You are going to lose credibility if that happens, but I definitely recommend that movie as well. She's just so talented at telling. I think it's a real art to be able to tell something that has so much information and also be so emotional. Well, I feel like with documentaries, it's like you're making kind of a collage of so many Mm -hmm. elements and there's a fine line between basic and busy. And this is pretty perfect it's like when when we watched thin it was just like perfect agreed and i would also say like i don't think we could express how sad this movie is like i truly believe this is one of if not the i know everybody says dear zachary is the saddest documentary ever it's just which it is really sad and the twist is like it's shocking i actually think this movie is more devastating than Dear Zachary. Well, I think Dear Zachary is very sad, but I think that the- It's one one the, story as opposed to this one, being- It's one story. Yeah. Like, yeah, the justice system failed them, but it wasn't like this systematic, like a long-term abuse. And like, right. so I think the sadness, like the fact that you're sobbing, listening to these people like scream about how the church, like how the church let them down or like betrayed them you're sobbing but then at the same time like you're getting the facts it's such a double whammy that like Mm -hmm. I really think and I've seen a lot of documentaries a lot (laughs) and this might be the saddest one for me because I think Mm. it's not just sad it's like so depressing in a way that it's like yes I mean it's devastating it is a devastating film in the absolute best way you know what it is, though? It's not just devastation. It's also there's these moments of hope and love and, like, these people are there for each other towards the end. And I said, my heart is so sad, but, like, buoyed, buoyed at the same time by seeing the journey to Rome and the strength mm-hmm. and the, these people advocating for themselves and for each other, um, yeah. which it, it's, it's kind of like adding salt to something sweet. It's like, it, yeah. enha- it doesn't make it salty. It just enhances the sweetness. It's like adding that yeah. element enhances the sadness. Yeah, it really does. And I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and like let out like a sob. Like I cry a lot watching oh. TV movies, but like when I- And then they play like, a cover of Hallelujah, my number one oh my crying God. song. My yeah, number exactly. one. <laughs> like, I- like, I, oh. I can't remember the last thing I watched that, like, I literally was, when I say, I cry a lot, so I tear up a lot. I'm like, oh, that's Same. beautiful. Oh, that's yeah. sad. Like, 
really crying, like like a guffaw, <laughs> yeah, like a, like, like, that. A, like a guttural, mm-hmm. a guttural, exactly, and where it like feels like you exercised afterwards. <laughs> exactly, no, it's like I need to take a depression nap after yeah. it. It's like I need yeah. to nap. Like honestly, like I need to take a nap because this is Seriously. so sad. I know. I I think that's great. I love a really fucking sad documentary. It's impactful. And, you know, I watched it right up until the record, like a half an hour before we had to record because uh, my sister ended up coming up because she, uh, she's fine, but she was in an evacuation zone for a while. So she came up with her cat. And, um, and so I switched a lot of stuff around and then Mm -hmm. she, she's good. They were here for a couple of nights, her apartment's safe. So they went home and I was like, okay, I got to (laughs) watch This is a really dark movie now. And then I was like, okay, I didn't end up doing like what I thought I had to do today, but I'm glad that I made it at 5.30 slash 8.30 for you because I just need this like 20 minutes. I also watched it tonight because I've seen around. it before. I've seen it yeah. before and I wanted to like just watch it right Refresh. before yeah. so it could be fresh. And I mean, it's just as devastating the second time Absolutely. around, let me tell you. When Bob starts screaming is one of the it's most Bob. powerful- one of the most powerful like film moments of all time, I think. And you know what like, he I said? can't sorry go. I was just like, you know what he says? He says, There's no God. Men made these rules. And I'm like, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just I can't think of something. Fucking patriarchy, it's, right? Yeah. It's very rare that you just get such visceral sadness not sadness and anger exactly but not like a like an uncomfortable anger but like a deep like (sighs) anger where you can like you said be depressed as opposed to like itchy and agitated no it's like he it's like you get punched in the face watching this yeah because it's just so like you can the (sighs) the emotions are i don't know the realness of it is next level it is it really is, especially because they have these three adult victims and one of their fam- two of their families being honest and raw and like you say, you use the word raw. But <laughs> I also want to say that I something that I like about this film after just watching, um, like for comparison, to move as something that I was like tearing up at but not sobbing was I watched Intervention Philly season this week for my podcast and oh. um, it was really good. It was really good, but the shock value element of Intervention was there as always. You know what I mean? Like right. the, the close-ups of shooting up. And so when what I was it- watching this, I was thinking like, there's no shock value in this movie, really. No, it's not. None of well, the nine months old and the wife, I think, are the sure. The I think though, but that's not like, an that's not a tool that's used. It's not well, and it's not like. They don't zoom in on it. It's not so descriptive. Not they aren't getting pictures of abused victims. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't rely yeah. on any. She, no. It's just people telling their stories. And I feel like a lot of times in documentaries with like horrific stuff like that, they'll lean into like the shock value of it. And I think that this, yeah. that she doesn't at all in this movie. And that's another thing that makes it feel so raw because you're not, you're not like, watching it like you do intervention where you're like oh i need to close my eyes as they shoot yeah, up yeah like, you need to explain to me uh what is intervention philadelphia season is there a whole season that they're in philadelphia yeah it's six episodes the see i think so that was the last like season of intervention. When they did like the hair and twi- triangle it was like one of those things yeah so the season before they did georgia and then this season they called it the heroin hub and it's oh. in philly oh i watched that oh yeah oh god yeah you're right that is really dark 
Um, but there's, you know what I mean? Like the shock yeah. value element of it. Oh, it's, and and a it's, lot it's repetitive. Real... If you, you watch enough interventions, you're like, and this is the Truly. moment where we get this. And this is the moment. It's formulaic and it's fine. I mean, so are a lot of things that I like, but I get what you mean. This is not that. This is art. Yes. Sad agreed. art. And the statistic that we get at the end is uh, over 100, uh, as of 2006, over 100,000 people had come forward in the U.S. about being molested by and someone that's in the just priesthood. in the United States. In the U.S. and more than 80% of, of victims of sexual assault statistically don't come forward. So that's 20%, we can say, of probably. Yeah, I want to see if I can get an easy... Well, just Pennsylvania, apparently, they have, as of 2018, they have a thousand identifiable child victims. Um, 2,600 priests and church church workers have been revealed. 2,600. That's so many. I don't know if they can even quantify, but there are still waves of as of this article, December 9, 2019, new wave of sexual assault lawsuits could cost the Catholic Church more. Um, I mean, and it's like, it's because they're not, the system hasn't changed at all. I mean, nothing has been changed yeah. fundamentally that needs to be. And it's really, really upsetting. I mean, a thousand children in Pennsylvania. In one state. <sighs> Little babies. And that's identifiable victims. Exactly. So that means they've identified a thousand victims. So what the real number is 6,000, 10,000 more. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy that you found out that he's in jail. (laughs) Yeah. There is Uh, the tiniest bit of little justice in the world. I'm not the type of person that says lock him up and throw away the key, but this man is an active predator. Yeah. And he's not Absolutely. interested in recovery. He's interested in pretending to recover so he can get back mm-hmm. out. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I feel like I should, like, end this with just hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Lay it over us. Yeah. Lay it over us. That song will make me cry every time. It doesn't matter, unless it's a really bad cover. I like <laughs> the Jeff Buckley version, but. Absolutely. It's yeah. the it's the canonical version version, if you will yeah absolutely i listened to that so much in college when i was depressed Mm -hmm. in the snow just anyway okay liz thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me it was heavy and you nailed it and you're amazing and i only have nice things to say about you well thanks for having me i appreciated (laughs) it and everybody liz has two podcasts she has Feathers in My Hair, which is a teen mom. Is it Teen Mom or Teen Mom 2? Both. It's Both. just okay. Teen Mom franchise. Teen Mom franchise. But don't worry, guys. She doesn't love them. She is very critical, which is why it's great. Um, and you have Liz Explains It All, your Patreon podcast, which is how I got to know you. And I love I, that, by the way. I yeah. love that you found me, like, not through Feathers in My Hair. No, I didn't. I found you through it. malls. I, you were yeah. on Mother May I Sleep with podcast. Uh-huh. And you guys, expl- you explained the whole Caroline Calloway thing. And I was like, <laughs> God, is this woman? I need to listen to her. <laughs> like, and I looked on your channel. I subscribed. And I was like, well, I'll give you seven bucks. And then, like, so many good episodes. And I know so much about, like, just so much drama that I don't have time to watch everything. But you're, you, you somehow have this knowledge of of all this, these different parts of pop culture and you analyze it and you pick really, really awesome people to talk about it with you. So I would say it's worth your five bucks. It's only five bucks now. So, yeah. um, yeah, Liz explains I mean, it all on Patreon. 
if you are a type of person that is curious about like YouTube drama, but you have no idea who anybody is and like you'll see something about it and you're like, I would like to to know more about that. But like, I, I can't even do, like, I can't do that, but it, I might want to know more about it. Let me explain all of it. To I you. was like, so today in the car to my sister. I was like, "Yeah, Flock Squad, like Shane Dawson." Da, 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 da. I like, I know everything now. She's all, "What? <laughs> How do you know this?" I'm like, uh, "Just listen to Liz." Because <laughs> she was like, "Well, I feel like this person may be canceled," and I was like, "Oh yeah, they're definitely." You know, just giving her the whole the whole breakdown. And she's four years older than me, so she actually had YouTube access and got in high school, and I didn't. So I was just like. Yeah, I, I don't, I didn't keep up with it, but you're my encyclopedia, so I appreciate that, and I appreciate you, and thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right. I will talk to you soon, everybody. Um, I feel like we talked about what we learned a lot, and I learned a lot, thanks to Liz. Um, so, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
I've seen this room and I've walked this floor, you know. I used to live alone before I knew you. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch. And love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken God above, all I've ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who I drew. Yeah. It's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a call and it's a broken hallelujah. Ale 